0: Hello and welcome to 2022 as we bring back our Road to Desert Rain series here at Desert Rain Community Radio. Today, uh, I have a conversation with Marie Espinosa as we look at her past, her journey through life, um, and how philosophy has shaped her spiritual and religious views, as well as uh, her time spent here at the community with her family. But before we get into that, thank you to Diego at Recording Moving Studios. He does all the editing and sound engineering. Thank you to David and Danny West. Uh, That's the music you hear in the background. If you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, uh, check out theruined.com. If you want to hear other episodes of Road to Desert Rain or our other series, Dispatches from the Verge, Uh, conversations with david morrison and i please check out drcrpod.com if you enjoy what you're hearing please tell a friend Uh, word of mouth and social media really helps us out we appreciate you and let's get into it welcome back to desert rain community radio road to desert rain how are you
1: I'm good. How about yourself?
0: (laughs) I'm doing well. I'm here with Marie Espinoza, and we are going to go down her her road and her path um, here at Desert Rain. Uh, For some of you that maybe haven't been keeping up, this is a a sort of spinoff series that we've done. Uh, We put it on pause for the, the last few months of 2021 and are bringing it back now for 2022 so happy new year
1: happy new year to you
0: <laughs> so let's uh let's get started did you grow up in El Paso I did okay
1: yep born yep. and raised
0: what was that sort of um that's sort of where we start is the spiritual or lack thereof religious life um in the child in your childhood home and kind of what that sort of foundation or lack thereof was like for you
1: i was raised in a hispanic catholic tradition largely the christmas easter type Mm -hmm, where you for sure for sure go to church on christmas and easter and then the other ones were harder but there was a deep faith in the household Mm. because my mom was a single parent that didn't drive. Okay. We couldn't go to church every Sunday, but we led a very um, Catholic life within the walls of our home. You know, we did the rosary and at least weekly. um, We prayed a lot together. I did all the traditional stuff, the catechism. Mm -hmm. and, And then as I got older, I was able to take the bus to to church to do Sunday school. Right. And then um, and then I did the confirmation and all of that. So so yes.
0: So did did you have um time set aside each week to pray the rosary as a family? Was it
1: it was there was kind of an expectation that we all did it on our own.
0: Okay. All right.
1: So um my mom would do it, we would watch her do it, and mm-hmm. we all had our own rosary and we had our very young, like in Catholicism, you're, you know how to pray the rosary by six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. That's part of the catechism. Yeah. And so, um, I just, I remember my mom let me just do the rosary whenever, wherever, as long as I did it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, just being on the couch and.
0: And I don't think I know that. Do you have siblings?
1: I do. I have a brother.
0: Oh, that's He's right. a firefighter. A firefighter. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. I did know that. Um, and so, yeah, because I remember, so I grew up in a Catholic household too, and um, same sort of thing, catechism, First Communion, Confirmation, and all that. Did you feel connected to the that tradition or those uh, sort of ideas as you were Growing up?
1: Very much so. Okay. Very. I internalized them deeply.
0: Mm.
1: I, At seven years old, I thought wholeheartedly that I was going to grow up and be a pe- priest.
0: Really? I really That's believed amazing. it. That's amazing.
1: To my core, I believed it. Yeah. I remember thinking, okay, well, things are not that great for women right now <laughs> in the church.
0: Right. <laughs> but,
1: you know, this is the 80s. <laughs> In the future, mm-hmm. I could see a path where I could grow up and be a priest.
0: Yeah. So That's, that's really, I mean, that's because my mom, so my mom used to joke and it's obviously way different because I'm a guy, but my mom used to joke that I was grow up to be a priest. So it's funny because I think maybe David Morrison is the only other person I've ever heard like as a kid wanted to grow up and be a priest. And now you're the second person.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, So, I I, I mean, obviously you're not a priest today. When when did that dream kind of, you're like, I guess that's not the path I'm taking. (laughs) Do you remember?
1: I kind of remember expressing that desire. So that was like six, seven years Mm -hmm. old. And I knew it in my core that that's what I needed to be. And in confirmation classes, that's 15, 16 Mm -hmm. years old. And so I expressed that and the nuns were like, (laughs) <laughs> no, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> and like, time, so,
0: time out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I got a reality check. Okay. And so um I got a reality check and and I guess I didn't know how to I didn't know what to do or how to process that. Mm. But in the where I am right now in my life, I kind of feel like I sort of fulfilled whatever that core wish was Mm -hmm. by be growing up and becoming a philosopher.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, that, that was one of the things I was going to, I was going to bring up was the fact that you've become a teacher. um, Mm -hmm. You you know, you, you, um, I, I, you know, I know you have lots of connections with, with the people at desert rain and just, just being sort of that um, spiritual leader, but even more than that sort of a a example, I guess, a Mm -hmm. spiritual example, which, Kind of is what a priest is supposed to be. right? I,
1: exactly. I yeah. really feel like whatever I saw as a six and seven year old, whatever that role that was happening, um, somebody that was wiser and and could guide people and um, you know, spoke I don't know, well and and touched people's hearts, all of that, like whatever I saw there, it kind I I mean, I'm doing it.
0: A hundred percent. Yep. So uh and we'll get back we'll get back to that and, and delve in a little bit deeper. Um so one of the stories I do know about you and we we've talked about a couple of times is is leaving El Paso and, and moving to LA um for university, mm-hmm. going to USC. So I don't know if you want to tell a little bit of that story and then I mean, I don't so I don't know how you ended up back in El Paso. I don't think I've ever heard that that part of the story as far as is coming back.
1: I mean, I guess that time was just um it was a weird time. I because like I said, I was raised with this Catholicism background, and then um, I went to USC and I went to a Catholic uh, uh, church with my some of my doormates. mates. Mm. And but it was like unlike any Catholic church I had been raised with. And so uh, the pastor or priest wore a Hawaiian shirt and flip flops. <laughs> And I just didn't know how to process that. <laughs> right.
0: I wouldn't either. Even today, going to a Catholic church and seeing that, I don't know how
1: Yeah, it, I how I, that
0: I would interpret that.
1: I wasn't open to being okay. open in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I I didn't go back. And I just kind of was like, I'm just going to, I don't know. I, I stopped going to church. Mm. And um, that whole time was really a weird time for me. And I wasn't, I was... I didn't have a good foundation of who I was. Mm. I got married. Uh, I got married so that I wouldn't have to stay at USC. Really? Because I was really scared. Interesting. I was overwhelmed.
0: Was it someone from LA or someone from El Paso?
1: Someone from El Paso. Okay. And so we got married, and then um, I moved to Washington State. And in Washington State, uh, my ex-husband was not a believer in any in any way that motivated us to go look for a church, hmm. and so there was there was no um, no foundation there that was built. But I did just I kind of gave me a place to be at arm's length from the religion that I grew up with. Okay, and um, so yeah, that was that was the gain from that. I was able to kind of step back and say, okay, I I, I kind of wiped the, the slate clean of what I think. Church should 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 look like. I see. And so his deployment ended in Washington State. We both moved back to El Paso with our young son at the time; he was two months old. Um, my oldest, Hugo. Yep. Yeah, good old
0: Hugo.
1: Yeah. And what happened there was, um, what happened there is, the marriage was not a good marriage, and I didn't know what to do or how to process it. And so I made an appointment with a priest. Okay. At the parish. What you got back, to El Paso? Okay. Mm -hmm. Back in El Paso, I made an appointment with a priest at the parish that I grew up with, grew up in, and um, he saw me. And the advice that I received was that that's what marriage was was, you know, that's what it meant to go through the, you know, good times and the bad times, yeah, and and it didn't sit right, with me, <laughs>
0: right.
1: but yeah. I still accepted it because everywhere, uh, my aunts, um, so this was 2001, 2000, 2001, okay. and divorce was was starting to be more normalized, mm-hmm. but there was still stigma For attached sure. to it, and so, and ideas of of being a divorced woman, you know, it meant all sorts of stuff, mm-hmm. um, it meant a lot, yeah, it meant a lot of stuff, negative stuff associated with that. I guess one of the, the important details about my childhood. So I am the, I'm a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then that's, and like I said, in the 2000s, there's a, there was some stigma still. Uh, divorce is much more common now. There was more stigma back then. Right.
0: Well, that, that's about the time my parents separated. I think so it was you felt that there was yeah. still
1: this like yeah. you're still someone that people can talk about. And so, um when I was young, uh seventies and eighties, there was a stigma about, you know, kids mm-hmm. that were born out of wedlock right And so, um uh, that was very heavily a heavy hand in in how the church saw me. Mm. There was a heavy hand on how my family saw me, my aunts and uncles. And so there was always this desire to, like, it was weird. There was a desire to, um, I don't know, be right in some eyes.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Instead of being on the finger point where people are faint. Finger pointing at you, yeah. being able to to be a little bit more of a a role model, I guess, weird, in a weird sense.
1: Yeah. And it was really weird that I felt good with myself. I felt good with who I was, but other people didn't. Mm. And so, and I remember being um, 10, 11 years old and praying. I remember where the place I was at, the, what the wall I was looking at, praying to God to please. Let me die before 12 because the age of accountability.
0: Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Now, somehow, the sin I inherited, (laughs) I was going to be responsible for that sin. The rest
0: of your life.
1: Yep. (laughs) And so I was like, how can I be responsible for something I inherited? Like, I had no control over. How Uh,
0: traumatic.
1: Yeah. I was just, it was really weird Mm -hmm. to, um, so yeah. So there was... I don't know. There was a whole lot of uh, uh, idea that I wasn't doing things right. I wasn't playing by the right books or I wasn't playing by the right rules. I was set up to not play in the right. um. So anyway, fast forward and I just received this advice from my priest and I didn't know what to do with it. But I had gone to a wedding um, a few months prior at at the church that was my church home after the Catholic Church. Okay, And so um, that wedding, it was just so different. And because it was a wedding, I allowed myself to enter into the space. Like I was raised like you don't go into any other denomination or anything like that. Only Catholic stuff. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I went to this wedding. It was beautiful. And the pastor spoke about the couple as if he knew them. And it was just like wow, it was just so different and so uplifting. And so I I still couldn't live with the advice and and live with, I just I needed help. So I went and I made an appointment at that church. Okay. And I asked for The one advice. that you went for the wedding. Yeah. For the wedding. Exactly. And I went and I asked for advice. And um the pastor said yeah divorce is okay under xyz circumstances and i was like really and he goes yeah let me show you and he showed me some scripture okay and i just felt this huge weight of relief like interesting like i can go down another path mm. and it made sense with you know and so i did file for divorce and the That church really welcomed me, mm-hmm. and and you know the they 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 loved on my young son and me, and they you know we got a very uh, cheap place to rent mm. from one of the church members. They uh, we we were able to rent a home that they owned for two hundred dollars a month.
0: Wow! Right? That's incredible.
1: As a recently divorced <laughs> mom with a like a infant about to be toddler that. It was just such a gift. They somebody let me borrow a car for five or six months. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a job through working at the school that the church had. Mm-hmm. Um, they just really supported us in that transition of of our life, and it was a huge gift. And then I started thinking, wow, there are other ways to be,
0: mm-hmm. other ways to navigate the navigate the world. Mm-hmm incredible so you 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 said uh, you mentioned that this your new church home the the one you just described when you growing up Catholic and and being Catholic and you know not not to necessarily compare to con- and contrast but more as far as like the way you felt spiritually
1: mm-hmm.
0: the way you felt at home at this new church did you ever experience that same feeling of being at home? Within the context of Catholicism?
1: It was two very different homes. Okay. The, 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 I, I so, uh, I'm no longer at that second
0: right, that right, church. Right, yeah.
1: But, um, both of them have a place of homeness mm-hmm. in, in me. Mm-hmm. The Catholicism gave me, um, an internal world. That I can go to uh, with the hymns and the prayers Mm -hmm. and the practices, and I cherish that. And this, the I I don't even know what kind of church it would be, non-denominational Christian, um, gave me a world to be a way to be outside in the world, and it was one of of caring for each other and seeing the human and being of service. Yes, and so it was exactly what i needed for each season
0: yeah that's re- yeah that's really beautiful cuz and the reason i asked that question is sort of related to my journey um i mean you you know i'm in recovery but sort of landing in the 12 step context was and just feeling having that sense of feeling at home mm-hmm. and just kind of having that sigh of like oh my like i this these are my people so to speak so it's interesting to hear the the different homes for different seasons as you evolve through your life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So <clears throat> stepping into this sort of new quote unquote new lifestyle recently, you know, you're going through a divorce and uh finding a new a new or a church family that's supporting you through this. And and sort of what what was uh how did that evolve into the next season of your life and the next season of your uh spiritual walk, so to speak?
1: um it was an incredibly good healthy fit for a very long time I I guess my infant son um, grew up there and he was about four or five years old and I was in a better place of starting to develop myself I had started going to community college mm-hmm. I I was I was growing and so there was just some um... I'm sorry what was the question again? Well,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well actually and so uh, we'll get back to that. So just because you said you you started going to community college so mm-hmm. you didn't you obviously didn't finish at USC. No. Okay. I didn't. And so this was a re um not reintroduction but getting back into that place of education and yes um and and what kind of stuff were you studying at the community college?
1: I was going to be an accountant.
0: <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't
1: do it. <laughs> <laughs> I That's funny. I was All the way, I was one semester short of an associates in accounting.
0: I don't think I knew that. Yeah, because that's what my undergrads in. I know, I know that.
1: I do know that. (laughs) Um, I mean, I mean, I had a young, a young child. I was a single parent. I needed as stable as you got.
0: Yeah. And in my head, (laughs) accounting's it. Like that's it's a very practical choice.
1: Yep. And so, and I actually to this day, I, I still really love spreadsheets and. I I love numbers, yeah. and so um, I enjoyed that too. So I thought it was a good fit. But my last semester, I was doing some homework, and I was like, I can't do this for forty years. Just the so the funny. monotony of it. Just,
0: That's really funny because I, I had that same epiphany between my junior and senior year. Yeah. Yeah
1: you finished it out though I
0: did because I didn't know I really didn't know what to left turn to and and so and I also had so it, I was in a little bit different situation because I was using the GI bill mm. and I could finish the last two semesters, but if I added anything on, oh yeah, I was gonna have to pay for it out of my pocket and I didn't there wasn't something I was passionate about that I was willing to like go down that route so I just kind of swallowed. Swallowed my pride and finished out that year. Yeah, so, so uh, that makes sense. So you, you have this epiphany. Yeah. And obviously take a left turn.
1: Yeah. What,
0: what, uh, what was that left turn?
1: So I was doing the homework. And as I was doing the homework, I was a couple hours in. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't. Not for the next 40 years. And then I said, I need to look at what I, where I felt alive. And where I felt mm-hmm. alive was like two years prior, I had taken an intro to philosophy course. And just the questions that they asked and, and just, it, it felt truly inspiring. Mm-hmm. I, I, that feeling was so potent two years later that I decided, the next day I went and changed my major to philosophy. That's,
0: That's wonderful.
1: And I, I ended up adding years to my mm-hmm, education, mm-hmm. but um, went down the path and got an associate's in philosophy and then a bachelor's and then eventually a master's. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's what you teach today,
1: and that's what I teach today.
0: You're you're at the El Paso Community College, right? It is, yep. Okay, and so so going. I know philosophy is a big part of your life, not just in the sense of that you know you're a teacher of it, right? You are mm-hmm. you you teach it as a, as a vocation, but it, it's also just sort of in your DNA, in, in the bones of the person you are. Mm-hmm. And so, so what were some of the cool things that sort of came to light or bubbled to the surface as you were going through that process of, of your education, shifting gears to philosophy?
1: Philosophy is the place where um, things can sit without definite answers. Mm. And that really just was very attractive to me it was really attractive to me that there could be this place that was comfortable with the uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and, um, and AI was, that's what attracted me to it. So I forgot the second part of your question. But
0: just some of the things that bubbled to the surface for you, you know, in your own, your personal life, your spiritual life, just as you were going through this education um, it sounds, you know, it sounds like the, being in that place of the unknown, yeah, was uh, brought life.
1: I think it was um, just one one of my so my intro, my intro to philosophy course, professor. He asked the question: Could there be a rock so heavy that even God Himself couldn't lift? Mm. And it was meant to be pro. Prorog- um, um, prorog- I can't see the word. Well, I don't, I don't, I know, don't know the word. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it was meant to provocative. Be, yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 there's a lot of like you know parlor type games like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. in philosophy, but um, it, it, aside from those, there's some genuine deep discussions that are had back and forth throughout the centuries. Mm. And so I, I remember, and then I did uh, uh, my associate's degree, and then when I transferred to the university, the the dean of the department at the time asked me what I wanted to study. And at the time I was really focused on religion. Mm. And and he said something along the lines of, maybe you won't be when you're done with this degree. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: you and wanted I, to be the philosophy of religion though, right? Yes. Okay, I was okay.
1: interested in philosophy religion because I was like, wow, there's many ways of being mm-hmm. and I was very and then actually half of my undergrad was Jewish studies.
0: Oh, very cool! Yeah,
1: I was very drawn to to learn because in the Jewish studies there's a lot of 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 okayness with um, um, questioning.
0: Well, I was gonna say a, a a recent episode within the last month, David and I talked. Well, David talked about it mostly about how rabbis historically have been the question askers. Yes, and and, and hard questions, right? Yeah.
1: And so this was just like, wow, we can do this. This is allowed. And and at the same time, the life that I'm living, I'm going to this church. And I've always been a question asker. I've yeah, always I could see that. Been a question <laughs> asker. In, when I was seven years old in catechism, I would get my hand slaps with a ruler because the I would ask questions that were not questions based in in blind faith. So if it's okay, right. if it's allowable, I I remember the one very clearly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: There's this uh I remember saying I had just learned some anatomy. It was I was so childish and young and anyway, I said, so if Mary is considered a virgin because she hadn't had sex and her hymen was intact when Jesus when she was pregnant of Jesus, but then Jesus came out and her hymen's no longer intact, that means she's not technically a virgin anymore because I associated virginity with an intact hymen right. because I was seven years old, and it's not a football banner. <laughs> it is a muscle. And so...
0: <laughs> I can only imagine the, the nun's face.
1: I got slaps on the head with a ruler. you're breaking
0: this down. Because <laughs> lo- the logic holds. <laughs>
1: If you equate that with, (laughs) yeah, 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 which is wrong. It's false. I didn't understand female anatomy at the time properly. And so, um, but I've always been a question asker. Mm -hmm. Always. I've always those kind um, throughout catechism, throughout confirmation classes. Just
0: just to back up a second though, besides just slapping your hand, did the nuns say anything? Or did they just pretend like? All right, move along. We're not yeah. we're not discussing that.
1: Yeah, move along. We're not discussing that. And there was a, a huge emphasis on just the value of blind faith.
0: Okay, right. There which a, yeah. I encountered in, in my Catholic upbringing, which never really made sense. But anyway, so.
1: Right, right. And so I felt weird that I couldn't fully give myself over to this full blind faith ever mm-hmm. in my entire life.
0: So you even tried. There was I, part of you that yeah. was, was hopeful that you could get there. Yep. Interesting.
1: And I remember at this new church home when I because those questions never left me, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would ask questions,
0: yeah.
1: and 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 in a friendly ish way, people would say, "Oh, she's a doubting Thomas."
0: <laughs> Which, yeah. It's, and I
1: was like, "It's
0: such a silly accusation. I would right? much rather be a doubting Thomas than anything else."
1: Save here. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I really like that story. So he doubts, and, and Jesus takes his hand mm-hmm. and puts it inside his wounds. Yeah. Like, if anyone had a more intimate experience with Jesus, was the person with his hand in his flesh. And so I just—I felt like they were trying to be accusatory of me not just blindly affa- uh, having blind faith. But it was actually a genuine compliment for me.
0: Mm. It felt
1: good to— it felt aligned with who I am at my core. Yeah, a person that that wants to have their hand in the wounds, mm-hmm. and um, so um, my philosophical studies. I kind of like because of that comment from that um, the the department dean. I kind of like staunched down and I would double down on.
0: <laughs> like, I'm going to love religion. <laughs>
1: yes. I'm going to show them. I'm going to whatever. And that kind of uh, mentality helped me later too. But um, what ended up happening is I started starting Aquinas and Anselm, awesome and, of course, Aristotle and Plato. And, mm-hmm. right. and, and there's a lot of great conversations there. Um, but they are conversations. They are not simple answers. They are full of a lot of back and forth dialogue that has been through the centuries because there's a lot there. And so Some's arguments, his ontological arguments for the existence of God, there's a lot to be, you know. And if someone as me that that was trying to, you know, develop this skill of being a philosopher of seeking truth, I couldn't ignore.
0: Mm. The other right.
1: arguments that were... Well, you
0: could, but then it, it's... It wouldn't
1: it's, align with It's not with honest. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. And Aquinas' arguments and then his studies of, of Plato and seeing how Plato's ideas, you know, grew Aquinas' ideas mm. and just... And then studying Kant, where Kant was like, I do not agree with how Aquinas got to there. I agree with his conclusion that there's a God, but I don't think his arguments for the existence of God are the good. Mm-hmm. And that you can have that. You can say, I believe in your conclusion, but not on how you got to there. And the that philosophy, it just felt like it embraced all of the mystery. And it was, um, it was in that process of... Of really opening that self to myself where I started to kind of realize that the place I was in was no longer a the right fit for me.
0: What, the place the you church, were in the place okay, okay, okay. that I was in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the community. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Because there was there was a different kind of life faith. And so I I started to, I guess, grow apart. I started to grow in another direction
0: mm-hmm.
1: from that church.
0: Well, it's one of the things that popped in my mind and and as a kid and a teenager growing up Catholic, I never, never understood it during the mass, but as an adult, it has paid dividends and it's, it's when uh, the priest is uh, preparing the Eucharist and they, they sing that part about the mystery of faith. Cause to me, it's like what you were saying, my understanding was a blind faith, right? Like. Either you believed or you didn't, and so uh, when you started talking about all the conversations throughout time and and the space for the unknowing and the mystery of of life and and God and everything else, yeah, um, that's something that I that has become. Uh, I don't want to say a foundation, right? Because you can't really put a foundation on something that's a mystery. <laughs> but just that idea of the mystery of faith, like I, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. Yeah. And, the, you know, the things I thought I thought about God five years ago, uh, a lot of those things don't hold up today. Right. And a lot of the things that I think I know about God today, five years from now, it, it's it's going to be different. Yeah. You know, not better, just different. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah.
1: And I'm really happy to be in that kind of space. Mm. It feels like there's a flexibility a strength that comes from that flexibility
0: well and and when when did you sort of become comfortable with that idea that you just like was it a recent thing? Has it been something you've been able to hold on to so it was it
1: was so it was a series of events um, I was in the, that church home that helped nurture my young son and I, and then I started redating. When Mm, I was, my son was four or five years old and I was in college and, and so the person that I was dating, um, he is now my husband, you know him.
0: Good old Steven. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, Steven. We love you.
1: Yep. (laughs) Um, 18 years married now. Really? Yeah. Wild, right?
0: When's your anniversary?
1: February 14th, 2003.
0: so, So you're coming up on?
1: 19, almost.
0: That's beautiful. Anyway, so you so, you meet Stephen.
1: Yes, and we are in the language of of, of that church tradition, not evenly
0: yoked. Oh, <laughs> which is such a silly term, but yes, go. <laughs>
1: so my husband is a pantheist, and for him, everything is sacred. Mm. Everything is so sacred, in fact, that there's no real need to distinguish God. Mm. So what pet. Pa- pantheism looks like from an outsider perspective is active atheism because there's no indistinguishable, indiscernible Mm -hmm. being. And so I couldn't get that because I I know how he sees the world and the way he sees the world is aligned with how I see the world Mm -hmm. with this incredible beauty and connection Mm -hmm. to everything. And so um, there was a little pushback on the, the evenly yoked part. And so it's from your community, from my community. Yeah. Thank you for um, specifying that. And so I started praying a whole lot, like a whole lot. Like, God, am I just being selfish? Am I wanting this relationship to succeed out of selfish reasons? And Mm. I really felt like I was getting the message that this was the right path for me. And this is, you know, to, to continue developing this relationship. But the community I was in did not feel the same, and the fact that they felt that they had a, a voice in my choice that way kind of rubbed me in a way that I was like, I, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I, I, this is, I'm here anymore. I don't think I belong here anymore. Mm-hmm. So. Um,
0: now, did they do it? And this is just because I don't know. Did they do it in sort of an aggressive way or was it like a, it was trying to support you? Yeah,
1: it was a okay. gentle, it was a loving in their understanding, a loving way. Okay. They were trying to guide me on a path that made sense um, for them. So what ended up happening is my husband and I were dating and um, he decided we decided he was going to be moving to El Paso. Mm. And I decided that I wasn't ready to get married. Okay. Because I was already married, and I was, I wasn't had, sure what was. Yeah, had,
0: you had gone down that rodeo. Once. Right.
1: <laughs> and so we decided to cohabitate.
0: And, and he's from LA. He's from LA. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, he's from LA, and. Um, so we decided to cohabitate, and then that's when that really ruffled feathers. I
0: was going to say, that probably didn't go over well in the, the church community. It,
1: it didn't. Yeah. And then that's when it started getting a little bit louder. Um, okay. Their, their gentle nudges about oh, the I see the
0: yeah. Yeah, they started getting louder. They
1: started getting louder. Okay. And, and I didn't want to destroy that relationship, and I didn't want – I could see that it wasn't going to be um, going – positively forward right and so in order to preserve the relationship I just started to step back because preserve
0: I, the relationship of the church community yes okay.
1: because I, I mean they're good people of that course. love me in the way the best way that they could of course and so um, and I still talk to many of them and have relationship with them and their children because mm-hmm. I was their teacher for a lot of their children
0: well, and I'm sure Hugo, became friends, friends with grew with up of with that, them you know? exactly
1: and so um so I just started kind of stepping back and 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 I I really understand I really do get their heart like they were trying to protect me in the way that they saw and they understood mm-hmm. and so and I did a lot of internal work to try to align myself with, I said, God, you know, I don't want this to be a me thing. I want it to be a you thing. And there's a story. I don't know if it, we have time for that or not. Yeah. So I went to go pick up my husband with my, at this time, five-year-old. And oh, he's not my husband yet. Um, he, I went to go pick up Steven to come move to El Paso.
0: At the airport or in L.A.? Uh, driving. Okay. I went to drive. Yeah.
1: Um, at this time, he's living in Nashville. Okay. And um, what happened? There was, uh, the church community was like, no, you shouldn't go. Uh, a couple people came and prayed that my car would break down.
0: <laughs> so weird.
1: It did feel weird. <laughs> and that nobody would get hurt, but that my car would break <laughs> of down. Of course, right, right. No injuries,
0: <laughs> but let the tire blow out. Yes. But make sure everyone's okay.
1: Yeah. Like, a, com- <laughs> a couple people came and stalled for time.
0: What do you so, mean? That
1: I couldn't leave because I was gonna leave at, you know, six on a certain morning. Okay, yeah, yeah. And they came in to make sure that I could, you know, just talk it out, make right. sure I was doing the right. And and so I finally ended up leaving with Hugo. We went to go drive to, to Nashville to pick him up. And I was I finally left around eleven or twelve. Mm. Um, they stalled that long.
0: That's, yeah, that's a that's a good stall job. That's
1: a filibuster, kind <laughs> of. <laughs> They're
0: like laying down behind Momento. your car, talking to you.
1: Yeah, and and so I, I, I ended up driving and I started crying, and that became an entire spiritual journey—the drive to Nashville. Mm-hmm. And I was crying. My son had a little DVD player, and we every stop we get a Red Box movie in. Right. He was a kid. He was fine. But I was processing. Of course. And I just wanted to be clear that whatever I was doing, it was not because I'm, you know, a young mom that wants a stable—like, I just wanted it to be right. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want it to be for selfish reasons or the reasons—like, what they—what I was hearing wasn't aligning. And so I just—I prayed a lot. I cried a lot. And I—every song, every sign, it was—felt like I was reading signs that said, this is my path forward. Mm -hmm. This is good. I felt like God was really talking to me in all of these ways.
0: And the car didn't break down, I assume. And the car did not break down. <laughs>
1: and Pray harder,
0: man. <laughs> I'm just joking.
1: We get to Memphis. Um, I think we had spent the night somewhere before, Mem- um, I think in Texas. But anyway, we get to Memphis the second night driving. And this could be purely coincidental because it was downtown Memphis. But it could also just align with the the... I was begging. I was begging for a sign. Like a clear sign. Not a billboard sign or a lyric on a sign on a on a song that could fit what I was wanting to hear. I wanted an irrefutable mm-hmm. sign that I and I begged God for it because as far as I knew everything that I was receiving was me mm. making it fit. Right. And so um and I kept hearing, like, this voice, internal dialogue that, that I know this the voice of God and um, to trust that. Mm-hmm. And so we, I put my, my young son to bed. We get a hotel, a Motel 6 in Memphis. I put him to bed. I'm in the shower. I'm still talking to God. I'm praying. And I hear this voice tell me, get out of the shower, get dressed, get your son, and leave. And I'm like, well, now I'm just being dramatic. (laughs) And so, and then I hear it again, like I feel it again. Mm -hmm. Um, You get dressed, get your son, and leave. And it just won't go away. And it's getting louder. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I get dressed, I get my son, and we go to the little window. And I'm like trying to get a rebate or refund because I've only been there 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And then we hear a lot of gunshots. And so I just abandoned the window, grab my kid, put him, throw him in the car, get out. And as we're pulling out of the parking lot, a bunch of cop cars start pulling into right. the parking lot. And like I said, it could be a coincidence because it's downtown Memphis and middle of the night. But for me, I just, it felt really surreal. Right. And I pulled over a few blocks away because I still needed to make sure my child was in a car and a, a
0: buckle. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> because, They're just bouncing around in the backseat. You all right yeah, back there, Hugo? Exactly. <laughs> Hold
1: on. I needed to gather myself. <laughs> and, yeah, of course. And so I buckle him up. I get in the car. I start driving. And I'm like, wow, this, like, that was something. That was something. Mm-hmm. It felt It felt like I got the sign that I needed. And then I pulled over again cuz I just I just really I needed to absorb what was happening. Then my phone started blowing up with text messages that came in delayed because, you know, 2004, 2005 yeah. like sometimes you get a message later. Hours later. Yeah. yeah. So, I got like seven messages from a dear friend of mine and what she said was you, you know, you know the voice of God, you know the right path, you will trust the voice of God and 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 just trust that what you hear is right. And to be fair, I think she was honestly hoping that the voice that I would hear would tell me not to, <laughs> to, to, to make a U-turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it had literally happened when I pulled over after that, and it was just getting those confirmations from her after leaving the Gunshot hearing the gunshots and it just it felt like the sign that I needed. And um
0: and, and to sort of push back again, you know, the, the coincidence idea, yeah. had you left at 6 a.m. that morning from El Paso, you wouldn't have been in Memphis. Right. Because you would have driven farther that first day, right, and probably made it to Nashville that yeah. second day. Yep.
1: Yeah. So I just, I, I, at that point, I let go, I and mean, I said, "I'm going to trust."
0: Yeah.
1: And. And it was a good thing that I did that. It's beautiful. It was the right thing that I did yeah. that, because being married to Stephen has been a joy and a healing process and a life affirming growth for both of us. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So that was, that was that. Um, And
0: and so to, to sort of the, the reason we're here, I guess, so to speak. Um, So how did you end up me? I don't, I don't know what your first contact with desert rain was. Like, how did you, how basically what was uh,
1: from there?
0: How did you end up sitting in a, (laughs) in a chapel with me talking about desert rain?
1: (laughs) So, um, I had met—I had not met. I had um, known of David Morrison through the church I was at okay, because he was good friends with the pastor and Uh, the church family. Right, right, right. um, Still is. Of course. And so um, he had come to do guest pastoring Mm. before. So I had uh, heard him before. And I had always thought he was very intelligent and um, very—I don't know, just a really smart guy— a lot of profound things. Um,
0: sees so that, the sees the world a little bit different way than the average Christian.
1: Yeah, but I wasn't I wasn't in tune with that yet.
0: I oh, was just okay, like okay, okay. I
1: recognize him. He's a gifted orator.
0: Cool. Oh yeah, hundred percent.
1: And and I could recognize that. That's where I was at. And so I just he was familiar to me. And then um, so now Stephen's living here in El Paso. And I'm getting a lot, I'm stepping away from the church. I'm getting a lot of um, desire to go back to a church. But I don't want to go back to that church.
0: Right, right, right.
1: So Stephen and I do uh, church shopping.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and we, We've talked about that a lot on this ep- on these, <laughs> these episodes of Road to Desert Rain.
1: <laughs> yeah. We tried a few churches out. Nothing fit what we were, where we were at and so a really good friend of ours um hugo my friend my hugo my son had a really good childhood friend kenya bozeman mm, yeah. and so we hung out with the bozemans a lot and eric bozeman um invited Stephen to a men's retreat okay and the men's retreat I don't remember what church hosted it or what, but it was very aligned to the non uh, Christ- um the non-denominational Christian church that I was at. Mm-hmm. And and Siemens like this stuff is not hitting me anywhere. After
0: he went to the retreat. He went to the retreat like he, he gave it a shot. Retreat, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay.
1: He went to the retreat with yeah, Eric. Yeah. Right. And Eric pulled him uh, during the retreat said, I can see that none of this <laughs> is <laughs> none of this is hitting, you know, you're not this is not your fit, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and Stephen's like, Nope. Um, and he's like, There's this guy in Chaparral that might be more your speed. And so, Stephen came home from that retreat and he told me about, you know, and I said, Oh, you know, I think I know that guy. He's come yeah. and talked a couple of times. And so, when our son was six, we started, he was in, um, he was in the Christian school that I was still teaching at, and um, David Morrison's daughter was in his class. And so...
0: I didn't realize they were the same age. They are. Oh, they're like a month apart, right? They are. I just learned this. Like, Anna, Hugo, and David West.
1: They're all a month, boom, boom, <laughs> boom. Anna's in June, and Hugo's in July, and David <laughs> is in August.
0: I just learned that, like, this summer, I think.
1: That's yeah. wild.
0: Anyway, so there, Hugo there and Anna are in class together. So
1: our paths started overlapping in those two ways. Like, Stephen was intrigued to go visit Desert Rain. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know those people. I've seen um, David talk a couple of times. And I see them when they come pick up their daughter, mm-hmm. David and Marsha. And so that felt like, um, yeah, let's go give it a shot. And so we came to a – at that time, they were doing services at night. Mm-hmm and we just loved it it was the right fit for us and 15 17 how many years is it now
0: i think they've been out here 17 or 18
1: so we were we came out in when they were near two or three okay so um yeah 15 ish years later they're still where we're at
0: and what found it initially what 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 was sort of the attractive part of it as far as sort of the walk you and Stephen were on and how, how that aligned with with um, just sort of the lifestyle is the wrong word, but spiritual lifestyle maybe that mm-hmm. that, is, that is here at Desert Rain?
1: I saw that David and Marsha were willing to live and walk in the tension and express that through words. Mm. And that is something that I had not you know, um, ever really experienced in a church-like setting. Um, the two churches that I came from previously felt that they each had their answers.
0: Oh, and that right, was, right, right, right,
1: And that was good for them. And those answers guided their life. And what I saw differently with David and Marsha was that they were like, well, there's a tension. The answer is that there is a tension. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you have the joy, of, the cup of joy and sorrow. The things that you love are inevitably the things that hurt you the most. And just being willing to live in this tension space and, and still be OK, and still having ways to navigate life. Because I kind of always felt that with my philosophical upbringing and my young Catholic um, Catholicism, I felt like if you didn't have answers, then you were kind of open to everything being very wishy-washy. Yeah. And so, and still they were making choices that aligned with being very good humans to other humans and to nature and to, and they were navigating a, they were crafting a life that showed that they were okay with being in this tension state and still living a great human existence. And that was just, that was it. For us.
0: I've, never, I've never heard it articulated that way, but it's. I feel like that might be the best way I've heard it described. As far as just, you know, witnessing and being friends with uh, David and Marsha. Yeah. Um, I guess this is more for my own curiosity. So eventually you and Stephen end up living out here. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I I think we missed each other by a month or right. we at, by a month because yep. I moved out here, yep. the same summer. Because um, you guys ended up buying a house, right? Yep. That's why. Yeah. And so, sort of, what was that? I guess that what was that uh, process, or you know, just what inspired that move to live live in the sacred grounds of Desert Rain for a few years.
1: Um, just to enter into that into that space more. Mm-hmm. Um because as 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 you know, living in community is is a is a tension state
0: yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah for sure
1: <laughs> having relationships is a tension state, and then you um so just being being deeper into that and just you know really genuinely loving um David and Marcia and Greg and Deanna and Jacob and Medea and Birgit and Paul, like I just the just the uh, the Jocelyns, Crystal and Cole, just like um, I don't know, just a desire to do life with these people. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ariolas Mutin. After we moved out, yeah. so, but we've gotten to know them a little bit better and stuff. But the desire to to walk through that tension of navigating raising children together, navigating, um, dealing with, you know, trash and animals. And I remember what we decided the case of we were going to do it or not, because when a, a home became available for us to move into.
0: You, the case whether you were going to move out here versus yeah. not move out here. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: So, um, a home became available. They said, would you, because we've been church members for a Mm -hmm. long time, would you consider moving in? And my first instinct was, hell no. (laughs) And Stephen's first instinct was, hell yeah. (laughs) I would have have guessed the
0: complete opposite. I would have guessed the complete opposite, I have to admit. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, you guys are... Two yeah, different spots.
1: Here we are, and so um, we were living in in northeast El Paso, and I ran out of eggs for something, and um, I got in my car, and I drove to the Family Dollar, mm-hmm. and I I came back and got you know I went to buy eggs, and then I said this is really ridiculous because I know that there used to be a time where neighbors just borrowed eggs from each other yeah. and sugar and whatever. And Even
0: probably when we were still kids. Oh, yeah. Like, I can remember as a kid, Yep. my mom asking me to go ask the neighbor for, like, a cup of sugar or something. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And so when we were, Stephen and I were trying to make this decision whether we should come live out here or not, um, and then that happened, I was like, you know, I really want our children to have that experience. Mm of knowing their neighbors and playing with the neighbor kids. And that's just kind of a thing you don't see anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I said, yeah, let's go, you know, try it for a while. And so.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, that's amazing. And I I did want to backtrack just a bit and kind of get your perspective about because I think a lot of times people going, you know, if they're, thinking about living in community or, or, um, trying to put together community living, they have this like utopian type right. idea. And and you already mentioned that the tension of yep. community, right. Which is, I think a much uh, better description of long-term community living. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to, I, I would be interested in your, um, growth or observations or what uh, did you, you and Steven lived out here four Uh, or five, four and a half years. four and a half And, and so I guess just during that time, um, sort of what the things that you learned, whether it was as a family or just as an individual of that, um, having that tension of community be part of your life.
1: Um, it was, I, I, I'll, I'm going to answer that question with examples. Yeah, yeah. So one of the examples is that every single family would have a different uh, set of expectations for their own children. Mm. And then you have your children interacting together. Right. So, for example, with me for Hugo, the property isn't massive, but it's big. Mm-hmm. And Hugo was you know young when he was, you know, we were out here. Um, playing, not when we moved in. He was 14 ish. I don't remember. Yeah, around 14 ish, we moved in. But um, when he was out playing, if he was playing, you know, six, seven years old, he had to be with another human. Hmm. So David West and him right. could go and explore the desert. Yeah. But I was not comfortable with him exploring the desert on his own. Of course. But there are other families that are. Mm-hmm. And there are families that said, you need to have two people. You need mm-hmm. to have one pe- person. You don't need anybody. Like, there's varying degrees of comfort right. when it comes to that. And and one of the things that you um, learn is to be, t- you know, respectful mm-hmm. of other people's parenting and their desires. um, While at the same time still holding your own. Right. And yeah. so, I mean, that's it's hard because you you have to have difficult conversations and, and living in community really in, that's the only way it works is to be able to say, Hey, I'm not cool with this, but I am cool with like, so yeah, it's.
0: Well, and I think that idea, I mean, it's easy to throw out like, Oh, communication's important.
1: Yeah. But
0: But. It's hard. It's, it's hard, but it really, it pays, you know, the example I have is like, Over the last year and a half with um, COVID and everything else, the Morrisons and I share the kitchen, right? The Mm -hmm. kitchen and then the laundry room. So we, you know, we're basically living together in a sense, as far as if I were to get COVID, they probably would get COVID and and vice versa. And so just having those conversations of like early on, you know, what, what are, you know, how are we going to walk through this? What are the expectations and, um, you know, whether, Mm -hmm. you know, cause I think my comfortability around risk is probably different than their comfortability around risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but like respecting that I'm going to like, I kind of would, especially when David, you know, had the heart surgery.
1: Right. It's exactly. Like, well, I
0: need to defer to whatever they're comfortable with. Cause exactly the uh, risk, you know, if they, if David gets COVID a month after he has open heart surgery, you know, right. It's not going to be, it's probably going to be bad. So yeah. Um, and just living in that tension of like, okay, like, let's re let's revisit this conversation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and um, that's been a really uh, I don't want to say humbling. It's been a little bit humbling, but more just eye opening.
1: Yeah. Of like
0: oh, like
1: and it's a breaking down of oneself in one way mm-hmm. for the for the connection and the integration. I'm going to say that one of the things that I always associate with Desert Rain is this integration. It's not orphaning the hard parts. It's not. It's just accepting it. Mm. And so um, it, it it feels like a good way to travel down the world. It's hard and it yeah. makes you very vulnerable. You feel vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, you want to say, of course, yeah, communication is key. But in practice, it's it's, it's much it's, different. It's it's more of it's a it's a little death on its own, yeah. and so um, so yeah. So we so David and Marsha and Greg and Deanna, they were very honest about all that before we moved in, Right. and they were not trying to sugarcoat it or mm-hmm. utopianize it. You know, um, this is how it it means to live with other people, and so um, that's why I was like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> like and, it's my way or the highway.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so um but doing it is is good, is great. Yeah. Yeah. That's and been just the things my experience that experience too. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. Just the experiences that we we got while we were here was so healing for in so many other areas of our life. Um I remember there's a priest that came and did a retreat here. And then talking to this priest, having a beer with the mm. priest, and him sharing his life struggles and his questions and his thoughts about his rumblings, um, it just made, kind of healed my whole Catholicism thing, mm. just kind of humanizing it. Yeah. And and the uh, people that have come out to Desert Rain, the people that you have found it through the internet of a friend of a friend or through some odd set of happenstances that they end up here and then just talking and chatting and offering them food and getting to share stories. Mm-hmm. And I, in the four, so in the four and a half years that we lived here, there were dozens of people we interacted with
0: mm-hmm.
1: and.
0: But you might other, otherwise not have. There's ask. no way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's no way, and and so, yeah. It's this place of integration. It's of the yes and the yes. This is X Y Z, and it can also be this and this.
0: Well, it's it's, it's uh, one of my favorite parts about doing this uh, Road to Desert Rain series. As you you know, you brought up the word healing, and how many people have been able to come here. Whether it's for years, for months, for weeks, for days, mm-hmm. and experience some kind of healing, mm-hmm. it's um, it's a beautiful thing to to hear about and and like you said to witness too. Mm-hmm. Having I I have been here uh, three years, three and a half years.
1: Yeah, that feels about right. Yeah,
0: summer of eighteen, I think, is when I moved out. Spring, late spring, maybe.
1: Yeah, we moved out summer of eighteen.
0: Okay. You feel good, yeah. That was good. That's an hour.
1: That's cool. One of the things I want to share. Like, yeah, 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 for yeah. Example, uh, that,
0: that was my next.
1: Just even if there was our children, else. Hugo. Um, I remember there was a family that was living in a car, and we were helping them get set up in their first apartment because you know you have to have first and last month deposit. It's a big ask the yeah, beginning. Not easy. And so, the the two little boys that were in this family, they had never had a bed in their life, and one of them was the same age as Hugo. And Hugo had a bunk bed and he just without blinking offered up his bed to them because and I'm like, but you're not gonna have a bed. And he's like, <laughs> But I have a do? house. And wow. so just that kind of yeah. of way of that is what Desert Rain does well. It really shows up in this I'm in, I'm I'm in, I'm here, I'm listening to you way. So yeah. And and that's just kind of like an example that kind of describes the, way, the experiences we've had here.
0: Yeah, that blows me away. I mean, Hugo's such a tenderhearted dude, anyways. Mm-hmm. But just just I don't, you know, I don't know having that insight as a child. Yeah, being like, they can have my bed. Yeah, you're not gonna have one. Yeah, but I gotta have. It's <laughs> like, right? Let's spread. Let's spread the love. You know what I mean? Let's spread the love and the resources. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your time this morning, and uh, yeah, well, uh, the um, for all those listening. Uh, once again, this is Road to Desert Rain uh, with Maria Espinoza. Uh, the guitars you hear in the background right now are uh, David and Danny West who came up during the conversation. Thank you to them. Um, if you want to learn more about Desert Rain in general, uh, theruined.com is the place to go. Um, did you have any parting words, my friend? Uh,
1: no, thank you. Thank you, Dorian, for facilitating. And- Absolutely. Yep.
0: Beautiful. Uh, well, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.